Well, we're continuing our series Guardrails this week. Uh, this sermon is on uh, fidelity. It's about sex. Um, and what's, you know, the, and the reality about it. Uh, the reality about the way that uh, it can, you know, ruin your life. <laughs> um, but we'd start, every week we start with a new uh, traffics device. Uh, our own Jack Culp, his company Traffics Devices, makes guardrails, literal guardrails that save lives. Uh, so I'd like to introduce you to the EnviroCone. This is the EnviroCone. Uh, this is made with 80% uh, recycled material. So not only are we uh, keeping drivers safe, we're also doing our part to uh, you know, help the environment. So <laughs> Traffics Devices, thank you very much. Uh, and then, of course, I, I did want to reiterate the power of the scorpion. Um, and and, and it's, it's, I like to, you know, joke with Jack a little bit about this, but um, it, it, this really does save lives. I mean, you know, traffic's devices really have. I mean, it's hard to know how many lives cones save, but we do know that the scorpions saved thousands of lives since it's been implemented. Um, so not only is it, uh, you know, it, it's, it's real. What Jack, what Jack does is um, he sells things that do make a difference. And so we thank you for that, Jack. But guardrails, we've been saying, uh, the whole point of a guardrail is to minimize damage. Minimize damage. And the reason for that is because our hearts, we can't do anything about. Right? God's the one who transforms hearts. Okay? God, uh, the Holy Spirit, uh, indwells us. And over time in our lives, if we participate with the Spirit, um, we listen to and follow the Spirit, our hearts change. And that, that's what God does. God, that's God's activity. However... In the meantime, while your heart is still being conformed to the image of the Son of God, uh, it's not a bad idea to throw up some, some guardrails in your life to protect you from massive damage. Right? Because, uh, you know, if, it's, if you're staying on the road and you start to veer off, a guardrail is going to push you back in. It's going to protect you from doing something that, uh, that could really, really make a big impact. And so let's look at what Paul thinks about the impact of sexual immorality. He says in 1 Corinthians 6, you'll notice I've made some, uh, some, <laughs> some changes to the, uh, the translation to better reflect what the Greek is trying to uh, tell us. It says, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins people commit are outside their body, but a person who sins sexually sins against his own body. Don't you realize that y'all's body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom y'all have received from God? Y'all are not your own. Y'all were bought as a price. So honor God with y'all's body. Um, the first question that we need to answer is the question of what is sexual immorality, all right? And in order to know what sexual immorality is, we need to know what sex is for. And so if you just go right back to the beginning of the Bible in Genesis 1, Genesis 1 uh, tells us that God creates humanity in his image, meaning uh, that we should, that we uh, are like sort of the kings of the world, um, so that you'll notice at the end there it says, take charge of the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, everything crawling on the ground. Human beings have been entrusted with the earth to care for it, to make it thrive. It's sort of like our garden. But in order to do that, God says, be fertile and multiply. Fill the earth and master it. Take charge over it. You can't do it alone, Adam and Eve. You're going to need more participants if you're going to effectively do what I've called you to do. And so God made a way for us to be fertile and multiply. The Bible does talk about romance and falling in love and being in love. Those are things that the Bible acknowledges. But the primary reason for sex is to create children. 
Um, that, that's what it's about, is to make families. And so even when the Bible's talking about, about uh, you know, romance and whatnot, the, the romance and the love are meant to sustain families. Right, so the sex creates a family by by cre- doing procreation, but then after that, sex uh, keeps the family unit ideally intact and loving and stable. Okay, um, this is why in marriages where uh, there's no sex, those marriages tend to go very badly. All right, um, typically this is because the, uh, of a man and the man what he wants and desires. There are other things that contribute to a stable marriage. Sex is one of them. But sex is designed to create and sustain families. That's what God did with it. That's why we say that sex that is outside of a, of a, of a committed marriage is not good. Any sexual activity that undermines, that, that, that cuts away at, that takes away from this, this goal of, of creating and sustaining families, that's a no-go. That's bad. That's bad stuff. But how bad is it? Well, the, 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 this is one of the most um, misused texts in the Bible because there, it looks like Paul has gra- bad grammar, okay? Uh, and that's why I've supplied the y'alls because we in English don't have a way of saying you that is plural. Uh, they do in Greek. So in Greek, you hear you all. In English, when you say you or your, you don't hear that. You have to figure it out from the context. And the way that this works is uh, the translators are confused because Paul says y'alls, body, like, you all have a body that you are sharing, okay? That sounds very odd, like to, to Americans especially. Americans, we don't think of a, a body as something that we share amongst a, a lot of different people, okay? We tend to think of a body as me, myself, and I, an individual. And yet, Paul seems to be using the word body to talk about a collective of people, right? So if, when he says uh, the person who commits a sin... Um, commits a sin against his own body. He's not literally talking about um, the person who commits the sexual sin, their own personal individual body. He's talking about something bigger. It's y'all's body. And that's very odd for us because uh, we, especially now uh, in the 21st century, we've lived with the, uh, the, the my body, my choice. Right? My body, my choice has been um, an anthem, really, for the pro-choice movement. Uh, so you see there on the right, my body and my choice. Cute, uh, the, the, the anti-maskers have picked that up. And so you see on the left there, an anti-masker with my body, my choice. And there's a mask crossed through it. And so the anti-masker says, hey, I, this is me, this is, this is my deal, and I do what I want with it. Likewise, the pro-choice uh, advocate says, hey, this is my body, I do what I want with it. But of course, for those of us who are against these views, it's very, very easy to see the problem, right? Uh, for, for the person who's saying, my body, my choice, uh, for, to, to talk about abortion, it's like, well, I mean, even, even just leaving aside the unborn human being that we'd like to protect, guess what? Your decision to have an abortion is going to have a major impact on, say, your spouse or your boyfriend or your parents or the people in your life who want to see you have a child. It's not, it, you may think my body and my choice, but the impact of that choice is going to be felt very it's far and wide. It's going to ripple out. 
Similarly, uh, the, those who are anti, uh, anti-mask and those who are pro-mask look at the, the anti-mask view and they say, well, yeah, your choice, except what if your choice causes me to get sick, right? You cough and, and then you've got the, the, the COVIDs and then I get the COVIDs. What Paul seems to be saying is he's saying, he's saying it's, that's, that's a lie, the idea of my body, my choice, that actually my body is connected to other bodies, Right? Um, and, and so when he talks to the church in Corinth, he's like, y'all, y'all have a body. He seems to think that we're connected. So that when he talks about your body, he's talking about the, com- the community of the saints. We say that all Christians are part of the same family, right? Big C Christians, anyone who's believed in Jesus is a part of the same fa- family. And, and to a greater degree, anybody who's believed in Jesus is much more a part of the small community that we call the local church. And Paul says... All the other sins that you can do, they take place outside the body. But this one, this one impacts the body itself. And so he seems to think that there's a difference between sexual sin and really all other forms of sin. And and it can be summed up in, in these two pictures. On the left, you have... Alice lying to me about whatever she's lying to me about this time. She had a dream, you know, her foot hurts, whatever it is. Okay, those are bad things, and, and I, you know, Alice, you need to not tell stories. But that's kind of like the dent on the left. That's somebody, that's where you, you got off the road, and you had a little bit of a, a little accident, but, but ultimately everything's going to be fine. On the right is sexual sin, sexual immorality. It leads to explosions and death. Okay, it's bad. And that's because sexual sin doesn't just wreck you, okay? It has greater impact beyond you. It's the next slide. When, it's, when, when Paul says it wrecks your body, it's not talking about just your physical body, although that can happen too, especially with STDs and whatnot. Um, but really, the danger is that it damages the whole family. And I think you can use family here in the sense of like a nuclear family. Obviously, that gets really damaged by sexual sin. But, but even beyond that, the family of faith. It gets worse. Don't you realize that y'all's body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? This gets used, this, this verse gets used a lot for people fat shaming me. They're like, Tom, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Like, eat less. Work out. And I respect that. I hear what you're saying, and there's a lot of reasons for me to agree with you. Um, but this Bible verse isn't one of them. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, this Bible verse is actually about um, a, a way of thinking about the church. Okay? Y'all's body, that is the body that we're all incorporated into, is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, when we think of a temple in our day and age, we think of like, you know, I don't know, I guess like a really big building with sacred objects. Maybe you think of like, you know, sacrifices, burning up animals, whatnot. But in the ancient world, they thought of the temple really just as God's home, God's house, right? So in the ancient world, every deity, every god would have its own, uh, his or her own like place of dwelling. And so when you had the temple to Zeus or whatever, that's where Zeus lived, up on Mount Olympus. Zeus in spirit form or whatever was living there. The same was true, of, was true of Yahweh, right? Yahweh was the God of Israel. Yahweh lived right there in the temple in Jerusalem. 
But then something happened. When Jesus comes, the Holy Spirit's poured out onto all who believe. And now God no longer lives in the temple, which is a good thing since it gets destroyed in 70 AD. So that's no longer God's house. God's house is y'all's body. We are where God lives in the form of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is shared amongst us, empowering us, guiding us. We are God's home. I love the movie Up. I talked about it before. Um, one of the things I love most about it is there's this sub... I don't know if it's a subtext, but it's a, a plot in the, in the film. If you haven't seen it, it's, a, it's an animated feature from Pixar. Um, and it centers on uh, this guy, Carl. Uh, and Carl, uh, his, he, at the very beginning of the movie, we find him in his own story of romance, right? Carl meets Ellie as a young man, as a boy, really. And they, they immediately fall in love. They're soulmates. Da, 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 da. They, they get married, um, they, they live life, they can't have kids, sadly, but they're still best friends, they work together at the zoo. In Carl's old age, uh, in, in Carl Fredrickson's old age, he loses his wife. And what happens in the movie is we start to realize that, that, that though Ellie is gone, he started to think of his home as Ellie, right? So he talks literally to the house. Anytime he wants to talk to his wife, he speaks to his home. And he carries it on like these, these balloons. He turns it into a floating thing. Why? Because uh, some, some corporation wants to come and destroy his house. They want to make it into like a commercial center. And so he, he, he makes, a, makes it fly away because he can't imagine the idea of his wife being destroyed. The home and his wife have become the same thing. All the memories, the places where they hung things up, the paint job that they did, all the, 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 the floors that they, every time it creaks, he remembers her. She and the house become one and the same. The, the point of the movie, the process of the movie is him letting go of her and, in, in effect, letting go of the house. And I think that's actually a really good metaphor for the way Paul thinks of the church. Right? God, God's no longer living here or there. God in the Spirit is among us. We are His home. And if anything damages us, it's like going up to the house and smashing the windows, or vandalizing the outside, or lighting it on fire. In the same way that the Jews were horrified when the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, sacked by the Romans, Paul thinks God's horrified when sexual sin tears apart. The body. So the next slide. Sexual sin wrecks not just you, but God's house. That is your church. I know of one exception to this rule. Typically, what happens when there's a, uh, a major divorce uh, in a church is the church has to take sides. Right? We've seen this happen. Um, where, you know, one spouse is held to be, I don't know, more responsible for the, for the, by the church. And that, that, sp- that spouse ends up leaving, right? And, and the people who are close to that person are heartbroken because now that part of the church has been torn, torn away. And not only that, but the one who stays is now irreparably damaged and really, really hurt. It's hard to come back from that. It gets worse. Y'all are not your own. 
My body, my choice? No, 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 no. No, you're, you're, you're the, the, the body that God owns, and it's his choice. And how did God make you his? He bought you at a price. 1954 uh, Fender Stratocaster. Uh, they retail if you can buy one. Um, you can buy them for about $75,000. If you can find, apparently in 1954, only about 300 of these guitars were produced by Fender. And they, um, they're very, obviously then very rare because so few have survived. Uh, but this particular guitar is considered a collector's item. However, the one that you see on the screen is worth a lot more than $75,000. In fact, it's supposed to be about 20 times that. They they estimate that it's going to sell for about $1.5 million, maybe even $2 million. And the reason for that is because this is the guitar that Eric Clapton played from 1970 to 1983 when he was touring with a bunch of different bands. When Eric Clapton wrote Layla which ironically is the song about him being in love with his best friend George Harrison's wife. It worked out great, though. So Harrison's wife left her husband, got married to Clapton. They lived happily ever after for 10 years, and then they got divorced. So big win for love. Um, so this guitar saw you know, so much, and so now it's become precious. It was already precious, okay? Just like human beings, we're all of us made in the image of God. I mean, we just saw that in Genesis. All of us have dignity. All of us have value. All of us have worth, regardless. But, but some of us, a few of us, God has specially chosen and spent the life of his son to retrieve, to own, to make his. We were already valuable, but now we've become God's special, beautiful treasure. And God's saying, please, 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 you must know that those organs are dangerous. What you can do with them can undermine the very purpose for which they were given to create and sustain families. And I sent Jesus, and I, he died so that I could have you. That's the next slide. The real problem, of course, is that um, our culture says that all of this is nonsense, right? Our, our culture says that what you need to do is, like, constantly be titillated, right? Like, it, you might even say flirt. Right? You should always, you should always, if you're a modern, responsible person, it's okay to flirt with whomever you want. Right? And you should be excited. I mean, if they, if they didn't think this, then why do they put beautiful people in every one of their movies and every one of their shows? They're all, you know, gorgeous. Perfect human specimens. And they're designed to make us look and be attracted and be excited. And, and the culture is saying, just, just walk up, just get close. But then ironically, when we do cross the line, right, then it's like, oh, she's a homewrecker. Oh, he's, he just ruined his family. You know, there's this, this immediate sense of like, oh, now we got to judge and hate on this person because they did the very thing that we've been tempting them to do the whole time. So we need to listen to the first word of Paul's text. 
flee. Run. If you were here a couple of weeks ago, we saw that, uh, that this is actually, Paul's deriving this from the story of Joseph, who was being, you know, attacked sexually by um, a powerful woman. And he ran. That was his guardrail. What are our guardrails? Okay? We, we want to make sure that we're not, e- we're not even in a space where the temptation starts and pulls us to the side. We want to be like, we want these big orange cones and big barricades to say, just go that way. Stay in the middle of the road. Do not get close. I thought of a few things um, that I've seen recommended in places to, to really keep us safe. Even if it means that we get made fun of. The first thing, share all your passwords. This might seem simple, um, but I had this buddy, Mike. Uh, he's the one we, I write sermons with. And I remember when he uh, first got married, or he was telling me about when he first got married. This is maybe 10, 15 years ago. And uh, he said, when, when they got married, he, he told his wife, Erica, said, look, Erica, you can imagine my life as like a whole bunch, as a hallway with a whole bunch of doors. Okay? And each one of those doors is a story about me. It's something that I've done. You have the key to every single one of these doors. I will not keep any of these doors closed to you. I am an open book to you. I recommend you skip over some of the ones because there's a few skeletons in my closet you probably don't want to know about. But if you do, the door is open to you. Similarly, now they have each other's Facebook and Instagram and all the different apps that we have. They have each other's passwords and from time, email, and, they, and from time to time, the text messages, their phones, they can't lock each other out of phone. There are so many different ways that we can create digital silos in our lives. And those digital silos are, a, they're, they're, a, they're a festering space for temptation. So if you are married... Make sure there are no doors that are closed to your spouse. That way, if you're thinking like, you're thinking, oh, you, oh, you know what? Gosh, she was great. I knew her in high school. Oh no, her husband just got hit by a bus. That sucks. Hey, I'm gonna DM you and you know start to just to catch back up because it seems like you're in a lot of pain. <laughs> Bad idea. Know that your spouse has access. Number two, the Graham-Pence rule. Uh, the, and this rule gets complicated, especially for members, uh, for people who are same-sex attracted, but we'll address that in a second. First, the basic Graham-Pence rule is don't be alone with another member of the opposite sex. Ever. If you are a woman, don't ever be alone with a man that is not your husband. If you're a man, don't ever be alone with a woman that is not your wife. That's a very difficult thing to do, and it can cause a lot of, there can be issues with that. So I, I know that not everyone can 100% pull this off, and, and Mike Pence gets made fun of for doing it. But it really keeps, it, it protects, it's, it's, it's if you If you don't even go into that space, then nothing can happen. But if there's no guard around, you start to veer off onto the side of the road, you're like, and pretty soon you're making a big, big decision. Number three, therapy is for professionals. 
This is uh, kind of derived similarly from uh, number one and two, but uh, the vast majority of, um, well, let's just call it what it is. The, the thing about romance that's so attractive is that at the beginning, people are super interested in each other. You notice this? When people are in love, they're like, oh man, I just can't stop learning about this person. You know, she or he is so great. And what happens in a lot of times is there's people who are wounded. And they need a shoulder to cry on. They need somebody to hear them. To listen. And that person might be you. You're not a therapist. And if that person really needs someone to talk to, let me know. Our, our church will help them find somebody they can, they can talk to. Okay? Because what looks like you starting out to do something that's good and helpful and healthy and Christ-like can very quickly slip into something that is really, really going to destroy your life. Let the pros do it. Number four. Rule of three. This, um, this was actually brought to our church by Lindsay. Uh, she and Nate are teaching K through two, I think, right now. But um, I think she got it from Saddleback. But the, the rule is um, it's for minors, right? Never be alone with a minor of any sex. In fact, instead, always make sure that there are three people around. Uh, and the reason for that is... Um, well, it's not just... Uh, it, it's for your protection on top of everything else because uh, kids lie. And um, I don't think anyone gets into youth ministry or comes to a church thinking, boy, I hope I you know, end up having an affair with a minor. Uh, and if, that, if there is that person, that person's bad, and we need to get rid of them. Um, but these things happen. Uh, I have a friend whose uh, uh, sister um, seduced a 16-year-old in a math class. She was married, had like three kids. Um, now she's in jail. And her family is destroyed. Now, am I saying that every single person who's going to tutor a 16-year-old in math class is going to... No, of course not. That's an outlier. That's weird. But man, wouldn't it have been great if she just had the rule of three so that she was never alone with that kid? If that rule had been in place, she never would have been able to get off the road. She would have had time for God to transform her heart, to save her marriage, to change... But without that rule, now she's in prison, her family's destroyed. Last but not least, get a friend. This one's really important because um, it's a special kind of friend. Uh, I, I was, I think, most impressed by uh, Mike Harrison, who um, he's on our finance committee, great dude. He's been meeting with the same three guys for like 40 years or something. Um, like one, twice a month, I think. They make it on Fridays for breakfast, something like that. Um, and, and what's interesting about these guys is they are not part of this community. Right? The three guys that he hangs out with, are, they don't show up here. They go to other churches. They're not a part of this family. They're also not a part of his family, his, his nuclear family. They, they're outside. They're, they're, they, and so he can share things in his life with them that 
might be embarrassing or, you know, dangerous to share here with us, and vice versa. My friend is Mike. He's in Minnesota. His church has nothing to do with our church. Uh, We work together. We talk at least once a week, but we don't just talk about sermons. We talk about, hey, man, how's your life going? Hey, what's happening? You know, like, this is a safe place where you can tell me, because once you just get it out there, if something's dangerous, if you get it out there with your friend, the friend, like, hey, man, you got to do X, Y, and Z. Like, let's, you know, we're going to pray about this. We're going to change it. That's a guardrail that's, that's going to protect you so you don't keep secrets. Okay? The secret, that's where it all starts to fester. With your Facebook friend from high school that nobody else knows about. That one person who seems so special. Get it out to your friend before anything happens. And wouldn't it be cool if our culture got this right? How many kids who are going to end up growing up without a dad wouldn't? How many families that get ripped apart wouldn't. How much, I mean, if you look at the statistics, they're just, they're, they're absolutely horrifying. The extent to which, in our culture, marriages are broken. Relationships are disasters. But if we put these guardrails up, and we, and we, we kept on, you know, husband and wife, you know, spouses, and and both were 150% committed to this, to to making sure that we're not going off the rail and putting in the time and the effort to communicate these things and to to ensure that the romance never totally dies and to ensure that we don't start finding our solace and comfort in so-and-so instead of, if, if we just got this one thing, how much different would the world be? And the last thing is, it's not too late. I know there's uh, many of us in this church who are divorced. Um, I know a lot of us uh, have been in relationships that are just, you know, a disaster. And, and we're all trying to, to move forward. You know the good news? The good news is, There's forgiveness, and there's a new start in Christ Jesus. Maybe your spouse didn't have these guardrails up, and and maybe things fell apart. Maybe you didn't have the guardrails up. But regardless, Jesus forgives and shows a better way. And so if you can go to the Lord and say, God, I'm sorry for how this worked out, or God, I've really been hurt by the way this worked out. The healing is real. The forgiveness is real. And the new start is real. But for now, let's put our rails up. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, we, um, 
We thank you for the gift of sex. We thank you for the gift of marriage and family. And God, we confess that it's terribly, terribly broken in this world. We confess that we um, sometimes have desires we're not even aware of. And we confess that our hearts aren't fully conformed to the image of your son and that we're in danger. So God, we ask two things. Two, first, God, show us different patterns of living, rails that we can set up to protect us. And second, and equally important, God, the Holy Spirit, come work and transform our hearts. Make us fully conformed to your son that we seek you and your beauty you and your love, and not uh, the cheap and quick love of romance. That instead, you, God, will be our desire. Lord, thank you for this body, these people who share a spirit, whether online or here in the sanctuary. God, we are one. I pray that you'll protect us from sinning against our own body. In Jesus' name, amen.